well, folks. You know what that song means? You got to listen to a little bit of an extended version today. Um, it's, of course, performed by the none other than Ken Pletcher, wonderful contributor to the Sopra Sun and a uh, clearly a musician. So thank you, Ken. Um, we are having some slight technical difficulties today, so our caller will be speaking through a speakerphone, and we'll see how that works. But we also have a interviewee here in the studio with us. We have Mr. Tom Cardiman. How are you, Tom? Great, James. Good to be with you. So good to thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, today we are going to be discussing um, the page 16 article in the Sopris Sun. Local group addresses uh, wildlife collisions. And, um, and this, of course, is in regards to a new organization, Roaring Fork Safe Passages. Um, and the execu- or the director of that organization is on the phone, uh, Cecily D'Angelo. Are you there, Cecily? Yeah. Hey, James. Thanks so much for having both of us on today. Oh, you are so very welcome. Um, and thank you for being on and uh, and also interviewing me earlier on this week. We really appreciated it. Absolutely. Um, so um, I want to get into Going Fork Safe Passages. This is a new organization that Cecily is kicking off to um, to alleviate the issue that we are all so familiar with and that is um wildlife collisions on highway 82 and 133 um and again the name of the organization is going for safe passages sounds like you've um kind of in order to undergo this work you've uh, developed a partnership with tom cardiman and his organization um Excuse me, uh, Tom, could you, that's the Watershed Biodiversity Initiative that uh, was started in 2018? Right. Okay. So let's start with you, Tom, if you don't mind. Um, just a little bit about yourself. Uh, you Before we came into the studio, you had mentioned that you used to work for ACES? That's right. Uh, my wife, Jody was the first director starting in 1975. Oh, no okay. Back in the, that last century. And, uh, and then I joined her fairly quickly and we worked there um, together in leadership roles for about 40 years oh wow and um, and and since then this uh, watershed biodiversity initiative is something I've taken on um, and I still have a relationship with ACES but uh, don't go to work there <laughs> anymore I, I'm working on this and working with them as a matter of fact I would imagine so yeah yeah and and maybe just a quick bit of background this biodiversity study which which um, emerged out of a, a discussion and, and an interest in dwindling elk, deer, and bighorn sheep populations and, and other concerns about bird, uh, bird declines all over the continent and, and insect declines, um, it was really built on the foundation of collaboration. Our, we, we very early on in 2018 formed a science team that included ACES, uh, the Aspen mm-hmm. Valley Land Trust, the Roaring Fork Conservancy, and the Aspen, Aspen Global Change Institute, along with four key agencies, the Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and the Open Space and Trails Program okay. in Pitkin County, 
and, and it's so wonderful to now have the study finished and be moving forward with a new collaboration to actually do conservation based in part on the information the study generated. Based on that study. And I noticed, um, I think in the uh, annual report that it had noted that part of that study, the findings were uh, the connectivity between habitats and how roadways really get in the way of that. Right. Critically important. Uh, large landscapes that are integrated and, and, and in relationship to each other are so much more functional uh, for wildlife uh, of all sizes, and uh, and um, as as uh, we've noted, the, our our uh, our watershed, almost a million acres, is is fragmented in many ways. Um, Highway 82 probably being the the most prominent fragmenter, all the way from Independence Pass to Glenwood Springs, um, and and with the four landing of 82 some time ago, the fences went up and. And that um, the great wall of 82 mm -hmm. became even more difficult for animals to negotiate. And tell us, that what was the uh, full title of that study again? The study was the Roaring Fork Watershed Biodiversity and Connectivity Study. And can folks find uh, a link to that on your website? Yes. If you go to watershedbiodiversity.org, there's a link there. Okay. It will lead you to the Colorado Natural Heritage Program link probably as well. And that was the group of scientists that actually did the heavy lifting and, and, uh, and put the study together for us. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I want to kind of tie this in a little bit, just uh, maybe a relation here or a, a similar effort. Um, Cecily's just getting started with this uh, Growing Fork uh, Safe Passages and is in the fundraising um, uh, element of that, and I want to get into that. Is that something that you had to focus on when you wanted to launch your study, um, was the fundraising to make it happen? Oh, yes, of course. Um, and, and we were committed to a, a pretty much an even mix of public and private funding okay, uh, so, that it, so that it wasn't a government project per se or a private project per se it was again collaboration being the the key word here right. it was a pu public private collaboration uh, to to raise the funds to to make it all work and and uh, and we did that did you have a goal and um at the time uh, for fundraising our goal and and the actual ultimate cost uh, all together uh was uh, around eight hundred thousand dollars and uh, Pickman wow. County was a was a was a significant contributor at a couple hundred thousand. Okay. And uh, and then there were a couple dozen private gifts, uh, some significant, and all of them significant, I must say, but some bigger than others. Yeah. And uh, and then the EPA provided uh, there was a watershed element, or, or rather a wetland element, mm -hmm. to the study, which is not yet quite let, yet published, but it will be coming out soon. Okay. It'll be on our website. Uh, the EPA provided a, a quarter of a million dollars for the the wetland part. Um, it's reflected in the study, but the actual study isn't yet published. Okay. Um, and the reason I'm sorry that I was uh, kind of highlighting the fundraising is because, again, uh, Cecily D'Angelo, the director of um, Roaring Fork Safe Passages, who's on the line, um, is in that fundraising, uh, is uh, in the fundraising, um, 
I guess, uh, beginning of that uh, process. And Cecily, you have a goal to raise $150,000 to conduct a study, and you want to raise that by June 1st of next year. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, And actually, you could think of what uh, I aim to do during the first six to seven months of 2023 as two-part. The first is a smaller study, which builds upon uh, the study that Tom uh, did with Watershed Biodiversity Initiative, Mm -hmm. and it also will uh, bring together other sources of information to assess all of 133 and Highway 82 and prioritize the locations of potential mitigation, essentially by the the areas that are... um, that meet the criteria of being the highest collision rates and then also being areas that connect um, high-quality habitat uh, that animals can access. So that's the first part of the study, and that's actually significantly cheaper uh, to accomplish. But then once that study's done, we would like to take a handful of the top-hit places and dig into the, the actual mitigation plans and that is where the the more significant cost comes in. Okay. Um, And, Tom, how significant is the uh, amount of land in this uh, million-acre watershed, or nearly a million acres, uh, that would be uh, habitable um, or a good, a decent habitat for, say, ungulate herds that isn't being utilized? That, I, I don't know that we've, we've broken that down okay. so that I can be, be very clear about that. What we know is that about 40% of our 928,000 acres okay. is private land, and the other 60 is public land. Much of, much of that landscape is utilized by wildlife, and the, whether it's private ranch land or public, uh, public forest or BLM land. And, um, and it's a question – the utilization really is a question of – a couple of things. One is the forage quality, the, the habitat quality of the plants those animals eat. Uh, and the other is its accessibility and its usability. Uh, clearly, if there's a great patch of habitat, uh, but it's hard to get to because there's a highway with eight-foot mm-hmm. fences in the way. Barreling vehicles. It's, it's underutilized. Uh-huh. We, can, we can get to that number by sorting out our maps, which really just were, were published recently. Um, but it's, it's uh, it, a lot of this landscape is high quality. Uh, and, we, and, and what we have, maybe the best way to place state it is we have a lot of opportunities to protect and in some cases restore that habitat. And mm-hmm. I would say, too, the Parks and Wildlife working with the Forest Service and the BLM are already at work and have been for some time. Um, doing restoration work using fire and mastication, meaning grinding it up, uh, the shrubland in particular, to get new sprouting and new growth. Um, so there's, um, there's a lot of work already happening, and, 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 uh, and perhaps uh, this study and Cecily's uh, work that shines a light on the importance not just of crossings but habitat uh, will amplify the, uh, the public agency's capacity to do more work. Okay. And so 
uh, the watershed biodiversity and connectivity study that only recently wrapped up. Is that right? Oh yeah, just at the end of September. Just at the end of September. So this partnership and is um, with uh, Roaring Fork Safe Passages. Is this uh, one? Is this the first partnership that's kind of come out of that study? It is. It is, and uh, and it's wonderful to see uh, so quick quickly on the heels of the the wrapping of our biodiversity study to have uh, the emergence of this um, and and really coincidentally uh, in a lot of ways uh, uh, and 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 I really think it's important to underscore the 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 the, um, the notion that a a motivated citizen it doesn't have to be a big nonprofit organization necessarily or another agency but one motivated citizen uh, can spark um, a lot of activities and here we are yeah, thanks to you, Cecily. <laughs> uh, so for well, I'm, I'm built, building on on something that you know the groundwork has been laid for a long time. But yeah, thank you. Absolutely, and uh, so for our listeners, you are tuned into everything under the sun on Katie and K, uh, the Sopra Sun's weekly radio show. And today we are interviewing a director of a brand new uh, nonprofit, Cecily D'Angelo. Uh, and the nonprofit is Growing Fork Safe Passages. And also Tom Cardamon of, uh, am I saying that right, Tom Cardamon? That's close enough. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of uh, Watershed Biodiversity Initiative um, and about the two organizations' partnership. Um, so let's, uh, how did you two meet, Cecily and Tom? Or and what is it just, did you meet through uh, this initiative that you're launching, Cecily? Or did you know each other prior to that? No, you know, uh, the first time I heard of Tom's work, I was actually at, um, at Rock Bottom Ranch with my two-year-old. I think we were probably picking out... Um, some chicken eggs, which he was mostly just crushing in his hands. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and I, I asked some of the people that work at ACES, I was like, is anybody in the Valley doing anything about the issue of wildlife vehicle collisions? And it had been on my mind for a while. And, uh, they mentioned, they were like, do you know Tom? Like his work is really tying into this. And so that was the first time I went onto his website. I, I got familiar, um, but I, I didn't take the action until I met uh, Pickin County Commissioner Greg Poshman, who um, introduced the two of us and sort of realized that we were both working on parallel sort of paths of, of trying to solve this problem. And from, from there, we just sort of discuss the potential partnership and um it just seemed like a good fit so and this um the colorado in particular is not uh it's not um it's are building these infrastructures for safe passages is not something that's totally new to colorado and as stated in the article there's a, a pretty extensive project on highway nine um and so, it, I guess like, you had mentioned Highway Nine to me. Is that are, is that part of your, your research? Is seeing what's worked for other areas? Absolutely. Uh, Highway Nine is a 
it, it is unique and it was one of the first projects in Colorado. Really? One, one of the reasons that moved forward as quickly as it did um, and the reason it was ahead of its time is there 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 was a private challenge that, that went both to the, the county and then to a private donation challenge and then to the state. And mm. both the county and the state stepped to the, up to the plate and and met the private donation and they were able to get that project done very quickly it was one of the most remarkable private public partnerships that many people in the state like reflect on um so that was unique and, and also ahead of its time since then there there's been a mandate um from jared polis governor jared polis there has been a fund set up for wildlife crossings and that's at the state level and then there's also been 350 million dollars earmarked for wildlife crossings at the federal level and that was in the infrastructure package that was passed huh so it sounds like that um, kind of experiment with highway 9 ended up with a lot of support because it was so successful that's correct. Yeah, they they saw a, a reduction in hits that was over over nineteen percent. That's what I read. Yeah, uh, that cra- crashes reported to law enforcement uh, dropped by ninety two percent, and uh, carcass counts by ninety percent relative to pre the pre construction le- levels, which is astounding. Like that's amazing. And uh, they had seven large wildlife life crossings as and uh, 10.3 miles of wildlife exclusionary fencing uh, between Kremlin and Green Mountain there on Highway 9. Um, so, and we had kind of chatted there. We do see, and I like there's a couple different infrastructures that were maybe um, placed several years ago on Highway 82. Is that right, um, Cecily? Yeah, or are there any sort? Is there any sort of infrastructure that exists uh, currently on Highway 82 or 133, including like fencing? Uh, yes, there, there's, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll let Tom um, answer this as well. But yes, there, there, there is extensive fencing now between uh, Willits and Carbondale. Okay. Um, and then there's also some areas that have underpasses. I think that some of them were built with the intention of having wildlife use them, and the success rate has been not so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and partially that is due to, I think, a lack of planning and, and probably at the time a lack of understanding of the science of, of what type of structures animals will use and, and how they need to be built. Um, hmm. But I'll let Tom speak a little bit more to this. Yeah, uh, James, to that point, uh with the help of the Wilderness Workshop, uh, they they engaged um, a woman, Lauren Buckholz, to do an inventory of all the existing infrastructure hmm. from Aspen to Glenwood, whether it was built for wildlife or not. So we have an inventory okay. that, that they've produced for us, and some of there there are several underpasses that are that are um, sort of concrete mm-hmm. um, passageways that are that that are fairly daunting to elk and deer they don't tend to use them because they're small okay um and 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 there's a lot of other uh there are bridges and trestles and culverts and other things we've 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 got a list of all of them and uh, you know some may accommodate 
raccoons and, and foxes and others would accommodate. And we, can, we had found coyote and bear and hmm. lion tracks in some, some of them that were not necessarily built for those animals. Right. Those that are built for elk and deer um, have, have, as Cecily said, been marginally used because they're too small. Mm-hmm. And deer and elk in particular, deer as well, don't like to go through tunnels. Okay, they like to go. They they, they don't want the a roof over their head mm-hmm. when they go under a highway. They like an overpass much better. And when it comes to human safety, uh, you know, infrastructure that does uh, help um, larger animals like elk and deer. Uh, yeah, migrate from one side or excuse me um, just move from one side of the highway to the other uh that's that's what's important rather than those small i mean not that the small animals aren't important but in terms of human safety and like uh wildlife collisions um ten, those bigger animals tend to be more dangerous absolutely and probably worth mentioning because we see these there are those escape ramps mm-hmm. that are along the fence lines and those are for the animals that unfortunately get in the highway corridor but through a hole or some other way they have jumped over the fence and that's so they can get out of the highway corridor their ramp on the highway side and a cliff on the other side okay so the sort of a one-way escape hatch for the for elk and deer i see i see um so and uh, cecily this is one thing i didn't get into the article but is your organization are you um primarily concerned with uh, elk and deer? Uh, no, I would say that, that reducing collisions with all types of wildlife is, is extremely important. Uh, and, you know, even including areas where it's, it's easy for, like, household pets to get onto the road, it'd be ideal to reduce that as well. Okay, wonderful. Well, this show goes pretty quick, y'all, and we only have a couple minutes left. Um, so before I let y'all go, I would like to highlight, uh, both of your organizations, um, both of your organization's websites. Uh, so there, and if people would like to either go and contribute, uh, to Roaring Fork Safe Passages, um, they could do so, uh, to support Cecily's work. I know that Aspen Ski Company, uh, Environmental Foundation, um, as, uh, uh, giving y'all a $10,000 grant to get started, but your goal is $150,000. And I know that everyone on the road, including myself, who was just involved in an accident recently where I took the life of a beautiful bull elk, um, uh, know how important it is to try to keep these animals safe and in turn people safe. So you can go to goingforksafepassages.org uh, to support Cecily's organization. Um, Cecily, do you have any closing comments before I let you go? Uh, no, I'm just incredibly grateful for, for this interview, and thank you so much for having us on. Thank you so much. How about you, Tom? James, uh, thanks for encouraging people to, to get uh, familiar with Cecily's initiative, and, and I encourage everybody that's listening to, to check it out and join, join her effort and help however they can. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today on Everything Under the Sun, and you have uh, safe travels back home tonight. Thank you.